Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show. And if I sound even more enthusiastic than normal today, listeners, it's because we're an award-winning PR Week. We won Best Podcast on Friday at the Neil Awards, the Oscars of the B2B journalism sector. So we are buzzing, are we not? Frank Washcook, my co-host. Buzzing indeed, Steve. Yes. And Ewan Larkin behind the dials, standing in for Bill Fitzpatrick. So yeah, we are certainly excited and uh, really proud to have won that and Great tribute to the People team. People have been asking me since Friday what what my glow is all about, and I've been telling them it's because we're a part of an award-winning podcast. And I thought it was because Borussia Dortmund went top of the German soccer league and uh, oh, that's and uh, could be winning the championship. I'm but they very go. happy about that. Yes, indeed. Fing- fingers and toes crossed for yes. the next five weeks. So. And to celebrate our award-winning status, we have a special guest. It's Kiwan Anderson, who's global head of communications. PR and content development at the Bermuda Tourism Authority. Kwan, welcome to the, the award-winning show. Thank you, Steve, and um, congratulations on on winning such a, an honor. And it's great to be back. It feels like home now. And you see, you got a new studio. Yeah, we've we've had Kwan on before, and he, when you're at Nike. Nike, not Nike, Nike Communications. Yeah. I always get that mixed up. Um, and that was just over a year ago, but you moved to the Tourism Authority, Bermuda Tourism job in September last year. We'll get into that, but before that, we'll just run through what else we've got on. We'll talk to Kawan because it's a fascinating new job. Then we'll get in. What a week in the media. Absolutely incredible. It was the, the Monday morning of the Long Knives, wasn't it? Tucker, Don Lemon, the NBC uh, CEO layoffs at ESPN. Wow. What can you say? And in the fictional world of media, we are, we've been doing these succession updates. So we'll get into that as well, because there are some similarities, you could say. Um, bit of a Logan Roy move with the Tucker Carlson, some might say. And then we'll talk about Budweiser, continued fallout from their marketing around uh, that. Mattel, they've introduced their first uh, Barbie with Down syndrome. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Everyone's talking about AI these days. The PR council has announced some guidelines. President Biden has announced his re-election bid, so he will be standing again in 2024. And reflections on uh, the life and career of David Wells. I went to a celebration event for his life yesterday, and uh, very moving it was too. So we'll talk about David. But let's start with you, Kiwan. Tell us about the Bermuda Tourism Authority. Sounds a pretty good job to me. Means you get to go to Bermuda all the time. And wear Bermuda (laughs) shorts, which you're wearing today, looking rather smart, I must say. Thank you. Yes. Bermuda shorts are our, are our traditional uh, business attire in Bermuda. And so you will find um, people wearing Bermuda shorts all year round uh, with blazer. There's a, actually a, um, there's a formula to it. You know, there's a certain color you have to wear, a certain shoe you have to wear, and the blazer is a very, very important. And it goes with a shirt and tie, right? Must have a shirt and tie. Must be an Oxford shirt. Must be a colorful tie. You can wear any color tie you want, but the blazer always has to be. Uh, and you're you're sporting yellow shorts with a pink tie. Yes, we don't have on yellow shorts. I'm not going to show. I'm not going to get up on. But I, I had an event today in New York City, and I, I think that um, with our CEO, and uh, so it was appropriate for me and my colleague to wear our traditional uh, business Absolutely. attires. Absolutely, nice day for it as well. So, but yeah. 
Absolutely. It's warm and, and, and pleasant, just like it is in Bermuda right now. And, and as you know, the Bermuda Tourism Authority is um, the premier DMO, which is a destination marketing organization for the small 21-mile archipelago of Bermuda that's in the North Atlantic. And it's, you know, a lot of people, particularly in New York, uh, in the tri-state area and the East Coast, just don't really know where Bermuda is. I think they get it you know, confused sometimes with the Bahamas or yeah. Barbuda or Barbados, right? So I think there's, you know, there was that 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 song, um, Kokomo, that really <laughs> was beautiful for Bermuda, but it also did us a disservice um, in terms of proximity <laughs> messaging because I think it lumped Bermuda in with the rest of the Caribbean, and we are much further north, right? Yeah, much further. We have a, it's it's a subtropical climate, which means that we have seasons. Um, and just like you know, when it's cold in New York, it's a little cool in Bermuda. So it's a it's 650 miles east of Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and a 90 minute flight from from New York City. And so we have a new flight this evening, starting next week on May 5th from JetBlue on JetBlue from the new LaGuardia terminal. That's a big selling point, isn't it? That you're really trying to push because you could go there for a weekend, right? If it's 90 minutes, yeah, it's uh, a short hop, yeah? Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but everyone in PR, particularly in the New York area or anywhere on the East Coast, has summer Fridays. And I think we, mm. we relish our summer Fridays, right? As to go out east or to go up north or to go down to the shore, I think everyone is trying to get, leave a little bit early, right, on a summer Friday to get to that location. And so if you're going out to the Hamptons, um, sometimes it can take you three hours on that. It's a that and guys, Bermuda. Yeah, 90 minutes from, you, you can hop, go to LaGuardia and get and get on that JetBlue flight. So we're really excited about that. Um, we have some great activities going on on the island. And I'm actually Bermudian. I should have started off with that. Oh, yeah, um, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I actually have um, the honor of and pleasure of um, being both American and Bermudian. But I, uh, thanks to both my parents. And it's Bermudian, I, not Bermudan. Bermudian, yeah. yes. Yes, not Bermudian. It's there's an I A N. So think of Kardashian. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love to infuse pop culture into uh, a little bit of everything that we do. But, you know, Bermudians are some of the warmest. Um, hospitable people that you'll ever meet. Um, and then Bermuda, so when you come, we like to say, like, you know, Bermudians just don't give you directions. We show you the way. So, um, which is very I, you true. Know, I can I vouch do. for this because I, w- I went to Bermuda yeah. for Christmas um, a couple of years ago. Recently? And, ah. you know, you have this big party on the beach on Christmas Day. It's incredible. Well, the Brits do, all right? We should explain the, because it's a British overseas territory, isn't it? Yeah. What does that mean? It's yep. still self-governed. Self-governed. We are um, not independent, but we are self-governed. We have um, our own um, government, which is based off of the parliamentary system. And, you know, Bermuda is, um, you know, we, we are the oldest British colony still in existence. And so, you know, with the proximity to the U.S., we have a great, um, you know, agreement with the U.S. government where we, you don't need a visa to enter Bermuda, vice versa for uh, Bermudians who are traveling to the U.S. and we actually have a um, pre-clearance with uh, U.S. Border and Customs Protection. We have there you you clear customs in Bermuda. So like when you land in LaGuardia on that JetBlue flight, you just get off the plane and hop in a cab. Uh, that means a lot. Um, it's the same in same yeah, in Dublin actually. Um, yeah, and now. You've got a really close relationship with the U.S. as as well as being an overseas yeah. territory. Um, 
What, what's going to happen on the coronation day then? That's happening on May 6th, King Charles. Yeah. Um, will there be celebrations on the island or is it like, well, we're not really into it? We, we you know. No, no, no. We, are, we, we embrace our, our, our British um, her, uh, heritage and history. Um, we actually have the holiday. It's a new holiday. Oh, in there you go. <laughs> um, May 8th. So we're off on that Monday. Hey, if there's a holiday um, in it, everybody's it's happy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's the day off, but no, there are going to be some local celebrations and ceremonies that are going to happen. You know, we love our pomp and circumstance and all of that, but it'll be, um, I know the coronation is on the 6th, but you know, I don't know if you, Queen Elizabeth, before she passed, had been um, to the island about four or five mm. times. And one time she, you know, was there on a refueling, um, you know, her plane had ran out of fuel, had to stop in Bermuda, and she ended up like driving around the island by herself. And a, an American businessman's uh, Rolls Royce. So there's, it's, it's, she had a fondness for the island, and I think that that was always um, something that you know you kind of, as a, a young person, if you you know didn't know anything about the monarchy, you just knew that there was something special about the way she um, embraced the people yeah. and the island that she visited. So. No, it's good. It's you. You've got so much history there, but you've got the beaches. Yeah. You've got um, yeah. Bacardi. It's got its base there, hasn't yeah. it? <laughs> and, and remember, I used to work for Bacardi. Yeah. Um, I, I did all the, I worked on the corporate comms team. And it's just so ironic that, that I'm pulled back to this island that has um, all of these great things. So international business is a big sector in, you know, in on the island. It actually is the number one and tourism is number two in terms of revenue. And the island has just been, it's been changing, but it, we still have that old world charm mm. and we have that, warm hospitality and it's one of the things that i love about going when i don't i've been going every summer since i was a kid i actually was there for a year and a half during the pandemic and um it's something about flying into the island and watching the water change color yeah. and seeing the reefs and well, just, tell us about the pink sand how what how does that happen is that related to the colors there it is, and so Bermuda's surrounded by a, you know, a, a barrier reef, and so um, part of that barrier reef, as well as the Sargasso Sea, which we were talking about off camera um, before the show started with the Bermuda Triangle and the Sargassium, is a lot of that is um, created by the ecosystem in that area of water. Right. One of the things that um, you know when you're there and you meet some of the people that are a part of the marine um, conservation efforts, they will show you and teach you about, you know, the reef systems and how that sand becomes pink. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's just not, it's not something that just happens. So everything has to work perfectly in that ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and that's why like overfishing is, you know, is important, like, you know, and not doing that and also making sure that we um, keep the oceans and the beaches clean and making sure that, pollution is not an issue with you know all of that stuff can one thing gets thrown off and everything else is affected as you and know. you can go on the ecological tours and find out more about that yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun it's really yeah. good um yeah, yep. we should mention that actually well, everyone knows about the Sargassium coming toward Florida. And if you've been down mm -hmm. to DR or Mexico, parts of Mexico, it's, it's becoming a bit of a problem. But yeah. it's not so much of a problem in Bermuda, partly because of that barrier reef, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. visitors shouldn't shouldn't worry about that because it's uh, well, obviously you can't control the masses of it. And um, But it, it's not it's not become a massive problem in Bermuda. 
Wow. Not, no, and, and you do have it, right? I've seen sargassum, like, you know, you'll see the sea, like the seaweed. Yeah, you know, but it's on up. every beach to a small extent, isn't it? And it's also the way that Bermuda's shaped too, right? And it's also the like, the reef, but also there's the, the, the direction the wind and the, the tides are going. So we're actually, we're further north, particularly Florida and the Bahamas, much further. So you have a lot of that that sargassum coming from that triangle area between Bermuda, Puerto Rico, and Miami, where all of that stuff is actually pushing away from us. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, you mentioned you were there during COVID a little bit, and uh, you lifted the restrictions in uh, November 22. So obviously, I guess, like everywhere, tourism was hit. But now are you seeing it come back full full force, just like a lot of other places? Yeah. I'm flying down tomorrow, and there's there every hotel is sold out. We have a few events happening this week: Celebrity Golf Invitational. We have um, Cambridge Beaches property that's um, celebrating 100 years, their centennial, and so there's a lot of um, people that are going to be on island who um, are have have stretched our you know bed capacity to a, a maximum, and so it's not a bad problem to have, but it's still a problem. But or in a challenge rather, but we're working through all of that. And we're still, you know, just as passionate about tourism as we were during eighties and nineties. When I was growing up, I remember, you know, just, it was a different way that people traveled. Mm -hmm. And now you have people who are um, thinking about how they travel very differently, right? Like I think people are more conscious of not just footprint and um, carbon footprint and all that. They're thinking about, not what can I take to this place, but what can I leave that's going to help that local economy, right? Yeah. I'm guessing now, you know, we've got a lot of companies also allow you to work remotely for certain a number yeah. of weeks a year. That, that Again, it's a good place, same time zone. Um, yep. So it's it, we're, we're one hour ahead. One hour, one one hour ahead. ahead, so it's not, it's not too much. Um, let's just to finish, you know, when everyone thinks of Bermuda, they think of the Bermuda Triangle, don't they? So how do you, how do you lean into that from a tourism point of view? You know, we, we don't shy away from it, but we also are very, um, smart and thoughtful about how to, um, use it in our comms and marketing and, and branding. And, you know, we have the triangle is, is definitely a part of, messaging but it's you know it's done in a clever way our, our current campaign is called lost it found and you know that's also a play on 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 amazing grace mm -hmm. you know we invite people to come to bermuda and and get lost so they can find new things and new experiences but also find themselves i think a lot of people are um being more adventurous and living in the moment and really uh, bermuda is one of those places where you can get off the plane and go from one end of the island to the other and not get lost, right? And but we do want you to get lost because there's gonna there's these really great untapped places on the island that even a lot of people who live there have not explored. Yeah. And so there's you, and like I said, you can go and you can just wander around. I mean, I I did it as a little boy, right? Like you get lost and you kind of just I would go on like every summer I would just run around the island by myself and always find my way back yeah, home. Yeah. <laughs> Because you, there's, you, there's you really can't get lost, right? You really can't. But we do invite people to do that and come, and it's great for families, great for couples, great for businesses, and great for um, solo travelers. It's one of the safest places in the world for um, for women to travel by themselves. We don't have um, you know high crime rates, and you know we 
you can literally be in, in the middle of the night, just be a, a woman walking mm. the street and you'll be fine. Police officers don't carry guns. That's a very um, British thing. Yeah, British. for sure. And you've um, yeah. just appointed Berlin Rosen for PR and advertising. So um, yeah. love this agency. And, you know, I, I don't know if you ever had Lisa Smith from PR Net on your show or worked with her and her team, but Lisa was the one who connected me with Berlin and, um, they came in, did, went through the whole RFP process, and you know they were one of the first ones that we met with, and they were they blew us away, and we were really really excited about um, what they were doing in the uh, lifestyle space, and they also you know there was it was a very mutual understanding of like what we needed and what they needed, um, and they just the fact that they also like the number one agency. Um, PR Week award-winning agency, Kiwan, wow. and uh, yeah, we had Jonathan on the show a few weeks ago. So yeah. number one, I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, look, you have to surround yourself with greatness. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And the other, just yeah. to finish, you've got Marks and Spencers on the island, which for me is a bit of a taste of home. No, and what's, what's that, Steve? It's a British chain of, of stores. Okay. Um, beautiful food, but it was you know. My mum worked there for 35 years on the shop floor. So in our family, we were we were, we were almost signed up. We had to be part of the religion. Um, it is a bit of a religion in in the UK, and the, the food's wonderful. It really is. And uh, it's where you buy your um, socks and other basic essential yeah. clothing items and stuff like that. And there's British pubs, Frank, on the street. Yeah, Sunday lunch, right. Sunday roast. You can watch the football so it's a little taste of home, but Sounds there's like great local culture and food and uh, music and all sorts of good stuff. So it's such a great mix. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I am a big fan. And Kiwan, it's great to find out more about that about it. And uh, good luck with the job. And it's not the worst job in the yeah. world, is it? Heading, heading it so. Uh, and it sounds like it was made for you because you've used to work for Bacardi, you've Bermudian, yeah. and you know you got it. You yeah. got it. So uh, I'm really pleased for you. Well done. And. Uh, continued good luck thank you i appreciate that frank let's get into this busy week this and monday morning sure was crazy wasn't it, it yeah was just when it when it dropped about tucker carlson but just talk us through it, and talk it, it about really all the media been. stories and, and between all of the media stories and other things and and it's earnings season and it's a very busy week in terms of earnings with all the tech companies reporting this week um and some of the holding companies over the past two weeks as well it's been really uh hectic yeah so big news monday morning tucker carlson is out at Fox News. Uh, the network has not named a replacement yet. Uh, there, there's a lot of reporting on this. Um, it, it seems to be not a coincidence that this is taking place right after uh, Fox's settlement uh, with Dominion voting systems. But also that uh, there are a lot of reports about, you know, complaints about his behavior around the office and things like that as well. So uh, one way or the other, he is out as of right now. And the what's the the marquee spot in Fox News's primetime lineup? Um, a lot of speculation about who's going to replace him. A lot of gloating uh, happening too. on the other side. Say. They are. Although yeah. that's that that was slightly tempered when they lost one of their own, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I you know, I I, I don't think Don Lemon, who also was fired from uh, CNN this week, had exactly the same kind of clout that, that Tucker Carlson has on the right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, just a, a crazy week in media stories between those two, and the CEO uh, of NBC Universal out 
um, after an Jeff investigation Shell. into his personal behavior. So it's it's really just a wild week and, in terms of bold-faced names in media losing their jobs. Yeah, and layoffs at ESPN as well, including yeah. a 43-year veteran of the comms team. It's... Uh, yeah, it is a bit crazy, and uh, it seems Tucker wasn't a massive fan of the Fox News PR team, by judging by the coverage. Well, and they, and they almost have to have a, a mediator to communicate between them. Yeah, and, and that was very interesting, I think, to a lot of our readers, and also just not a big fan of the, the company's ownership in general, no. was he? <laughs> And uh, used some fairly strident language to uh, communicate those. It's it's been quite incredible, though, isn't it? How tight lipped everything. You know, normally when this happens, you you pretty much know what what went down. But I don't think we do yet, really, do we? I mean, we can all speculate, and there are some obvious things that have happened. But it we'll get on to succession. But it seemed like quite a succession type move from uh, Rupert Murdoch and the, the Murdoch family. Yes. And one thing I've been thinking about with this is what is going to be the next act for Tucker Carlson, if there is, because, um, you know, for for people that have had this slot or a similar slot before, whether that's Bill O'Reilly or, or uh, Glenn Beck, you know, they, they've kind of found themselves in the wilderness in a hurry. And I think in much more a way than they thought they would. And it goes to show you that you know, these people are brands in and of themselves, but uh, once they lose that massive distribution among that target audience that Fox News Channel is, it can get less popular very, yeah. very quickly. Although there are a hell of a lot of people on social, especially saying, I'm done with Fox, I'm with Tucker, and I'll follow him wherever he goes. But I guess that's that happens. Well, and does he have a non-compete? And can he... Can he go someplace else that's similar as of right now? I guess we shall see. Yeah, judging by the silence, he's certainly got some sort of NDA uh, about certain parts of it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, big, big media stories. Yeah, and-, and there's also the theory out there that this was uh, a lot of his persona over the past few years was an act. Because, I, you know, this is sort of the, uh, as, as somebody gleefully pointed out on Twitter, he is... He is uh, if not the only part of a very exclusive club of people who have been fired from MSNBC, CNN, and Fox now. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Yeah, I think we'll keep covering this. And I think let's talk about succession because, yeah. I mean, there are some similarities here. And we've got Ewan Larkin in the studio who's been writing a weekly article for us, kind of summing up succession. But PR, Ewan, has been such a big theme of the the show this year, hasn't it? Of uh, The episodes and spoilers alerts. If you haven't seen the latest episode, you should probably turn the volume down for a couple of minutes. But uh, what did you make of this uh Sunday's edition and uh, PR at the top of the the the, the uh, narrative yet again. Yeah, the past few weeks have featured a lot of PR and communications. I think it's been a strong theme throughout the show, but it's really come to the forefront between this Gojo and Waystar Royco, uh, Royco deal. Um, and as I said in my column, it's been a tough couple of weeks for Siobhan Roy, but she, her PR savviness does get her a big win this week when the Roy, uh, the Waystar team heads to, to Norway to kind of uh, you know, work out the deal with uh, Lucas Matson, who himself has an internal PR crisis that is about to bubble to the surface. Um, it turns out that he's been sending his blood. Well, if uh, this is if we believe this. Yeah, plot line, yeah. I right? mean, there are some there are some theories uh, circulating out there that he's just testing, you know, the Roy siblings' loyalties um, to see who he's going to get on his side if this deal ultimately ends up going through. Um, 
But yeah, he he ends up telling our confiding in Shiv that he's been sending half liters of his frozen blood to his head of communications. Who's uh, called Ebba. Yes, her name is Ebba. Um, a very interesting situation there. But nonetheless, he uh, he lay, he lays uh, he gives this information to Shiv, and then she kind of from there takes it and irons out a three point PR plan, which includes. Um, and I think this one is fairly obvious, but the step one is to stop sending blood to people. Um, <laughs> I think that might be the line. Uh, she mentions that deniability is different or difficult given that Ebba has so much of his blood. Which is a, is a fairly basic but true point. Yeah. And then uh, step two is kind of a catch and kill method to, you know, stop Ebba from releasing any of this information into the public when all the eyes are going to be on Matson if this acquisition goes through. Um, she points out that the U.S. media will be all over Matson because they're, they're not particularly, they don't know him all that well up until this point. Um, so kind of catch and kill and make sure that she doesn't go public with any of that information. And then step three is to ensure that they do not fire from the company. Um, so lots of, I mean, there's co- crisis after crisis going on in succession, but a constant theme throughout this season has been communications and, you know, getting those crisis responses ahead of time um, in case those crises do come to the surface. And also, you know, a couple of episodes, again, again, major spoilers here, um, major death in Logan Roy on the plane, and there was a crisis communications response there. So what was the famous phrase? They had two options. They had, uh, I was operation, uh, this is when they were discussing um, Kendall and Roman's announcement as interim co-CEOs. Option number one was embalm Lennon, which was uh, kind of a playful, (laughs) you know, a nice package of photos of Roman and Kendall with their dad. I'm not sure those photos actually exist, given their history (laughs) on the show. If you've ever seen a picture of it. Lennon embalmed. He doesn't look so great. (laughs) And then uh, option number two is uh, Operation Shit on Dad, which is essentially uh, a Logan Roy smear campaign behind the scenes to kind of bolster Roman and Kendall's public standing and make them look more competent. We also uh, we also saw, you know, we saw death on the plane, obviously, um, a few episodes ago. But now we had the the death of Hugo's career also. On yeah, the, the kill list. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Though it, I mean, um, I actually um, <laughs> it's been it's been really Fantastic, hasn't it? Kiwan, have you been following this? And what, how do you, yeah, what, what do you think of the portrayal of our profession, your profession in the show? Actually, no, actually, I think of it the opposite way. I think that it was succession. I love the show, first of all. I think and it was, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like, uh, Roy is going to come back from the dead <laughs> in like flashbacks and stuff. Like, there's no way that you can just get rid of him. Um, but I do think that the entire show is, masterfully all about PR. It, it's all about perception. It's all about um, selling a story to people, right? And how and they do it in different ways in the, in, in the, the, the deal making, the betrayals, the backstabbing, all of that. Not saying that's part of PR, but it's what, what it is is that it's um, constant um, cleaning up that they're doing. And they're constantly um, creating new narratives, and I think that that is a has a lot to do with what we do in PR. And from a more we do, I mean, most of us as professionals do it from a more strategic standpoint. We're not cleaning up messes like they do on the show, um, like literally messes <laughs> like with. Um, <laughs> but actually, they may be right. Yeah. They, you know, they, there are a lot of things that we don't see in that world um, of, of money 
wealth and power, right? Like you just don't see we, a lot because a lot of us don't have access to it unless you're working on that PR team or that crisis management team. But I do think the whole show is a great lesson in just watching and understanding how some of the dynamics works work behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's a it's an, a welcome change from the sort of ditzy you know Sex in the City yeah. image of PR. So, and uh, I think Shiv and Carolina come out of it pretty well, and and Ebba maybe we'll see, and we'll see whether that is a, a real plot line or not. It reminds me of this one of the Saatchi brothers who uh, was a great art collector and collected these frozen sculptures made of blood, and his one of his domestic staff saw these in the freezer and just just let them. <laughs> Let them melt because she thought they were just blocks of ice. They were pieces of art that cost tens of thousands of pounds. Anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to Sunday's episode. Anyway, Frank, we better get on this show. Uh, we're award winning, but we're, we'll lose our listeners if we keep running long. What's the update on Budweiser? Two execs have been placed on leave. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then, you know, you're starting to see the coverage shift a little bit. And then there have been a few articles this week uh, about, you know, anger within the marketing industry and even internally uh, that these uh, execs were placed on leave in that um, perhaps the company uh, and Jose Bush Inbev, the parent company of Bud Light, should have uh, been more forgiving or stuck up for them or used a different tactic here. A lot of concerns that the leadership of the company has just, you know, found themselves getting bullied and uh, yeah, could have done something else. Yeah, maybe they should have brought in Carolina or Schiff <laughs> to do the statements because they. they uh, one other thing is that, uh, <laughs> but in terms of the actual uh, material impact of the calls for boycott, um, there was an industry, a, a brewing industry report cited by Axios this morning uh, that found that uh, pours of Bud Light at bars, at specific franchise bars, were down. Uh, pretty significantly in the first few weeks of April, which is when all of these calls for boycotts were happening. So it does look like those boycotts were having an impact in this case. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a case study that, we'll, that people will come back to, I think, again and again. Um, let's talk about Mattel. I love this story. They've introduced the first Barbie doll with Down syndrome. And I guess there's a school that there'll be people out there saying, why is Mattel doing this? Is political correctness and all the rest of it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's great, too. I, I look, I, I think this goes well. For, I think representation is very important, but this goes well beyond representation, too, I think, in that it is um, it is is helping kids who have Down syndrome see themselves within you know, something as famous as Barbie. And I, I think it's a, it's a terrific idea. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to know even more about this. You know, how mm. many are they going to make? How long are they going to stick with this? Because I, it's a really good idea and I think good for them for doing this. Yeah, it reminds me of the Gerber Baby yeah. campaign a couple of years ago that won the PR Week uh, campaign of the year. Again, this is what great marketing and, and communication can do. And I, I really get a bit fed up of people telling everyone else how to live their lives, you know, in the mm -hmm. supposed cause of freedom. So uh, I think we have to be very careful. And we need marketers and brands to stick with this. It's the right thing to do on, in a lot of uh, cases. And uh, I hope it doesn't lead to a, a backlash. Um, we can't really uh, open any piece of content or newsletter now without having seeing the words, the letters AI, can yeah. we? And the PR Council has announced some guidelines around this, which is probably a very, very timely thing to do. Long story short, the, the PR Council's recommendations are essentially to be really careful when using this technology. 
Um, and, and I think that's appropriate in this case until, uh, you know, a lot of the details get uh, ironed out. Um, the president of the PR council, Kim Sample, uh, commented that she sees a future where they will have more jobs that are exciting jobs because of chat GPT and other uh, enhanced AI. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. I think one thing that really jumps to mind here is that I, uh, some people don't realize this, but anything you feed into uh, these advanced AI uh, platforms, it uses to inform itself from there on. So if you have anything that's a secret, that's the wrong place to be inputting it into because it will then use that to inform things going forward. Yeah. Kiwan, um, your, your part of your job is content development. And obviously we, we are seeing wow. and we are going to see AI used a lot in content development. That's a topic for a whole show in itself. But what wow. are your sort of perspectives on AI and um, how it can help? But also, you know, it's also there for bad actors and they, they are often the people who exploit it first, aren't they? Yeah, I agree. I think that there's a lot of, you know, I know that there's conversations around it, around like um, music right now. There's, mm. you know, you have people recording, people re-recording tracks, um, songs with other people's voices that are, it's just a mashup of, of all of their, their voice, their voice. But I think with, um, with content, I think we have to be extremely careful because in the age of, of, of fake news and um, information that's traveling very quickly, it's very um, slippery when you have information that um, may not be accurate, that could be a, a difference between life and death, right? Or, and I think, so I think we have to, and I'm glad the PR council is doing this because it's a really um, responsible thing to do. And I think we have to be mindful of the limits that we need to put on um, AI because it's, it's, it's too powerful, right? I think it's extremely powerful. And I think it has certain uses um, that are beneficial, but I just, uh, as a PR and marketing person and having, there's nothing like a human connection that is actually authentic and real. And I think that is the, that is the beauty of PR that I think is, that will always stand the test of time, um, is being able to feel someone's energy, yeah. right? When you're with them and being able to connect and have a conversation that is meaningful. And so I think when people are, to talking about this, I think people are looking out, looking at their own self-interest for the most part. And like you said, the bad actors that are out there, you're going to have those anyway. They're, they're everywhere. They're, you know, they're trying to get into your account right now somehow. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, so I think that there's always going to be um, that. I think that with all this technology, um, we should be able to safeguard yeah well. definitely and um so check those out check those guidelines out if uh, the pr week agency business reports coming out next week which is the biggest analysis of the sector and by extension the whole industry and definitely ai comes up a lot in that and some really interesting comments and uh, some of them reflect what uh, kiwan just said that you've got to have that human element to it as well but that you can use it obviously as a very valuable tool um, Frank, President Biden has announced his re-election bid. How did you feel the announcement went over and what did it say about his communication strategy? Yeah, I think it needs to be prefaced with saying his numbers are not great. He's going to have a challenging re-election campaign no matter who the Republican candidate is. Um, he is going, and this was all done via video, uh, I should point out, and I think the video is well produced and I think it paints a good contrast between uh, um, what he would want to do in a second term, which is he is billing as more freedom 
for everybody and saying uh, others want to take freedoms away. And I think that's a response to uh, how much the issue of abortion is helping the Democrats at the polls now. Um, so I think it's a smart play to start his reelection campaign. But there is uh, I want to put so much caution out there about this because there's such a long time until November 2024 and so many things that can happen. Uh, it's way too early for predictions. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting like, campaign, of course. It's like Gramsci's permanent revolution in the U.S. It's permanent election, isn't it? It's it's just nonstop. Yeah. Um, it was interesting that he had Kamala Harris quite high profile in the yeah. in the video, and uh, it seems like his strategy is almost play it softly, softly, and let the Republicans shoot themselves in the foot. Well, that, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing right now. And uh, I think, you know, if if uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida does throw his hat into the ring, I think he's going to, the president will be very happy to see uh, DeSantis and Trump beat each other up for a while. Yeah. So, Okay, and just to end, David Wells very sadly died at far too young age of 50 earlier this year. He was formerly at ProSec Partners, well-known at Goldman Sachs. He was... He was two weeks into his job at BlackRock as head of communications, and he was formerly at the Financial Times and Bloomberg, a former journalist. And I went to a, a celebration of life for David um, on um, Tuesday. And it was terrific, really listening to the stories people were telling. There was great speakers, so Jim Badenhausen from BlackRock, Steve Cohen from Taneo, Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson from the FT, uh, very well known uh, to to us journalists, Lee Farris from Carlisle, Tom Cahill, Cahill, Contour Asset Management, Mark Blake at Morgan Stanley, Mariel Seidman-Gatti at Blackstone, Andrew Williams at Brunswick Group, and Jen Prosek from Prosek Partners all gave really fantastic tributes and speeches and some terrific stories. There were some tears, lots of laughs. And just, he seemed like such a, a lovely guy who was so well-loved. And there was, it was the who's who of the financial communication sector. He was there, Joe Evangelisti was there from JP Morgan. I saw Lucas Van Prague, formerly of Goldman Sachs, now at Taneo, and many others. And it was uh, very moving, but it, a tribute as well to David. So our thoughts with his family, his wife and children, and, um, you can uh, donate to the education of the children if you um, contact the folks at Prozac Partners. So, yeah, a really great event to honour David. Um, that's uh, all we got time for this week, but we don't forget our global awards. They're in London on the 9th of May. Healthcare Conference and Awards is in New York City on the 24th of May. Our Women of Distinction, always one of our favorite days of the year, was celebrating the top women and the up-and-coming women in PR on the 31st of May. The Brand Entertainment Awards in New York City on the 6th of June. And as I mentioned, our agency business report, long-awaited, much-anticipated, is out on Tuesday. So do look out for that. Thanks so much, Kiwan. Really terrific to have you on the show. Enjoyed. You've made me want to go to, to Bermuda, which I guess is your job. Yeah, it is my job. And so you're more than welcome to come anytime you are. <laughs> Thanks so much. Great to catch up. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Ewan. Look out for Ewan's succession updates. And we'll see you next time on the PR Week, the award-winning PR Week. PR Week.